Money is a great slave. Money is a terrible master. You and I know people who are owned by their money. Money is a terrible master. But legacy, that's more important. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we're talking about building a legacy, building legacy wealth with my guest, Terry Moore. Terry is an experienced real estate investor and broker in San Diego. We talk about his experience as a real estate investor, a broker, and his knowledge in the San Diego market. And then we get into his real mission right now is spreading this message of building a legacy, not just in terms of the dollars in our bank account or the wealth in dollars that we pass on to the next generation, but the other aspects of building a legacy that we as, let's face it, we as people who have above average monetary wealth and above average influence over the number of lives that we impact, if you will, the positive impact that we can have on them, the legacy that we can leave. Super interesting. Terry had an experience that kind of opened his eyes to this, and he tells us about that uh, in the interview as well. So I think this is important to think about in our space and the, the impact that we can have on others, not just in the sense of dollars, but in other ways. And we talk about that today. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Boat. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Again, I think this is a very important topic. And without any further ado, here we go with Terry Moore. Terry, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for letting me be here. This will be a joy to be with you and maybe be of some value to your 5,000 listeners and viewers and screaming fans. <laughs> I certainly think so. You know, I've, I've listened to you on other platforms. I think you have a, a fantastic message about building legacy wealth. That's your book and, and your message you're talking about. Uh, first, before we kind of get into the message, can you tell our listeners about what you do, your background and, uh, you know, your history? Sure. I'm fortunate. I'm among the very few people who love what I do. I didn't understand the purpose of my life originally, but Around 50 years old, I began to figure out what had worked well had been helping adults make smart choices about money. And when I got into income property brokerage, it was a pretty good job. And then it became a career and finally it became a calling. And I've, my wife retired twice. She's done. Thank you very much. Don't ask me. She's not coming back. <laughs> but five years ago, I thought about things and it dawned on me that this was a calling. We really help people make better choices than they could on their own. And one of my taglines is we help real estate investors make the most important financial choice of, of their next decade. And that's not just a marketing slogan. It really helps. I was working with a family today and they said, we're willing to do blah, blah, blah. And I said, that's fine. You know, if you want to give the sellers $30,000, that's great. You know, if you like the sellers, if you like the buyers more, then you like your grandkids, that's swell. <laughs> your favorite charity, that's swell. You don't need to do that. You're the boss. I'm the servant. But if there's any charity you like better other than the people on the other side of the table, I think you could do this and so. And so my clients are going to put an extra $12,500 in their pocket because of that. And I get a thrill of that. 
I, the amount of money I get is trivial, but helping the clients that I serve accomplish their goals, that's, that's the fun for me. I sell apartment buildings and in San Diego County, most of the buildings are 40 years old. Most of the buildings are class C properties. And for most of the 400 plus buildings I've sold, people have bought them do what you do to buy a class C building, value add, raise the rents, improve the housing, create extra value. And I love the people that I serve. Occasionally there's a jerk, but mostly I like helping people do better. For me, capitalism, apartment, apartment ownership is face-to-face capitalism. It's getting to know the tenants and helping them um, live a better life related to that as legacy. And we'll get into that with passing time. Great. Well, thank you for thank you for summarizing. And you know, San Diego, California, generally has a, I think, a very different you know, investor dynamic than a lot of the country, where you know the cash flows might be lower. Uh, typically, like as far as deals go, like what do you see happening? Are folks able to buy like cash flowing property, or is it an appreciation play? So San Diego is dramatically more diversified than most of the nation. And because it's a safer place, it's a lower cash flow. Somebody who bought in San Antonio 20 years ago, it's gone up 25% and it's had great cash flow. And somebody bought in San Diego two years ago, it's gone up 25% and it started with punk cash flow. Drunken fools have made money in San Diego because of government policies. I'm richer than any of my cousins and it's not because I'm better looking. I happen to be in San Diego. We didn't pick San Diego because they knew it would be a great place. We picked it because it was a great place. And government policies have created a 100,000-unit rental shortage in San Diego County. We've invested in Jacksonville, in Raleigh. We've looked in 15 other cities. But San Diego, because of government policies, has a huge demand and not much supply. The city of Houston is one-fourth the population in the state of California. And the city of Houston has built more apartments and condos in the last decade than the state of California. The scariest zip code, the, the ladies who are watching, the zip codes that they're afraid of, you know, the one where the men get raped and the women get killed? Those zip codes in San Diego County, if we have any, have 96% occupancy. We have a huge demand and not enough supply. We built half what we need. So we're a safe place and it's a low cash flow, but a huge appreciation market. So do you see that kind of changing in the future? I mean, is there more supply coming online in the future? So you're going to have like competition or is it so far behind that there's no catching up and it's just going to kind of be that way? If we double our apartment construction for a decade, we won't be at 5% vacancy. Wow. We are so far behind and California and several other, do I dare say it, democratic places have so many NIMBYs that we, we want everybody to have nice. And so kind of we've said, you can only sell brand new Lexus here. Well, that's great if you can afford a new Lexus. If you can afford a, a Ford Taurus, a used Ford Taurus, you're kind of out of luck. So in California, the way our government policies have worked out is you can only build Class A stuff. 
So the Stanford graduate that's making $100,000 a year, we got a place for you. Somebody like you, you're a gazillionaire, you got lots of money, you need a million dollar home or a five million dollar home we build for you. The person who vacuums the floors, who details your car, who landscapes for you, we don't build for them. And it's not fair, but it's true. We, in Tulsa, in a nice zip code, you can buy nice apartments for $80,000. In one of our suburbs, for $80,000, you can get the paper, you can get the permits. No sticks, no bricks, no dirt, no bricks, no workmen. You can get the permits for $80,000 a unit. And it's $3 a square foot to build, and not all tenants can afford $3 a square foot. So because of our government policies, we have a housing, a rental housing shortage. The governor is trying to do some things, and he's creating a lot of activity. But if we double our apartment production for a decade, we'd still be short. We have three and a quarter million people, and we're 100,000 rentals short. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, you know... I, I, I want to uh, like get into how this how this um, this real estate knowledge, real estate experience that you have dovetails into your your conversation, your your information that you're putting out about building a legacy. Because I, I agree with you know basically all of what you just said about how these government policies, in many areas, are hamstringing the new construction, and that's you know stifling supply, things like that. But, um, you know, what can we as real estate investors do for others? What can we do for our families to maybe improve the situation or do for our, our residents? I mean, it, again, it goes back to building that legacy and is that legacy just money? Sure. Well, first let me put in the shameless plug Jeff Bezos, I make a buck every time one of these is sold. I think he makes 74 cents and I make 26 cents. <laughs> so building legacy wealth, how to lead a life worth living. Essentially, I've how to lead a life worth imitating. Essentially, I wrote this based on what I learned the hard way from my clients. And lots of people read the book, will read it because they want to know how to build wealth. And that's a good thing. I wrote the book because I wanted to talk to them about legacy. It's hard for you to imagine, but one of these days, in the next hundred years, you're going to be gone. And when you die, you're going to leave an inheritance. You're going to leave some diamonds. You're going to leave some dollars. You're going to leave some deeds. And that's the stuff. It can be pissed away. The people you give it to might do great things with it, or they might get divorced twice. They might get cocaine. They might do any number of things. They might get hit by the bus. But the stuff can go away. Money is a great slave. Money is a terrible master. You and I know people who are owned by their money. Money is a terrible master. But legacy, that's more important. So Taylor, your legacy has to do with what people say, what people think, what people do because of your impact. When you don't think we're watching, we got our eye on you. We can see. There are going to be times and places where you're going to be upside down, underwater, confused, and we're going to be paying attention. Character is what you do in the dark. Well, I wrote the book on building legacy wealth because I want to challenge my clients, my readers, to lead lives worth imitating. So you and I know people who will say or do anything to get the deal. 
and they're going to leave a terrible legacy. There's going to be other people who may not have a lot of material wealth, but they're going to leave a wonderful legacy. We read stories about the janitor lady who left a quarter million dollars. She lived on almost nothing, but she gave it away in a way that was amazingly impactful. And you and I have clients or acquaintances who are $500,000 a year people and one paycheck away from being broke. Legacy is what people say and do and think because of your impact. So my book challenges people to lead a life of impact. And that comes from living out your values, from being congruent. In statues, they would talk about sincere, without wax. It was the real deal. And when a tenant can't pay, mom died, and there's not enough, married, not enough money to, marry, to bury mom, some of my clients have told the tenant, you go take care of mom, and in the next year, you can probably make it up to me. And they said to themselves, and if she didn't make it up, she's a good woman, and oh well, and I help her as much as I can. Well, that left a legacy. In my book, I tell a story about somebody who left a big legacy. Once upon a time, I had a, a navy blue suit. And at my worship center, I was the guy who would stand in the back when Joe or Charlie or Mary, who didn't worship with us, died. And they wanted to have the facility at our place. They wanted to have the memorial at our place. And so I heard lots of eulogies of guys and gals. And a lot of them are really sad because they made a lot of money, but they didn't have much of a life. But I tell the story in a book of a gal who didn't have a lot of money, but there were more than 500 people who attended her memorial. All the overflow rooms were full. They were out on the yard, and this lady managed apartment buildings. And I knew her husband say she was a wonderful woman. I knew her kids would say, we really love mom. We figured her coworkers would tell us what a nice gal she was. But what was amazing was the tenant who had been in recovery, who told the story about Tracy. And Tracy had stood up for her, had gone to bat for her, invested in her. Tracy had lived out her life. She had had a positive impact on people. She had an immense legacy. Well, I wrote the book about legacy. Money is a great slave. It's a terrible master. You're living your values, and you want your values to be worth imitating. Interesting. Okay. So there are a few examples of folks that have you know, less money who left a great impact by some of their actions. You know, For those of us that are more fortunate for you know variety of other reasons but have some of those resources you did give an example of maybe forgiving somebody's rent if if things get really tough i mean i mean maybe we all can't do that or you know we we go broke whatever but i wanted to you know what are things we can do for those of us that you know are again on the higher wealth or income side to either leave a legacy while we're alive, you know, before we pass away, we can experience it or, you know, plan for the future. So that legacy isn't just the money, I guess. I mean, where, how do we strike that balance? I guess. The reality is everybody leaves legacy. The janitor leaves the legacy. The lady who helps fit you for your glasses leaves the legacy. The guy, gal who gives you a parking ticket leaves the legacy. The people who are involved with you and with your show and who invest, we're frankly in the top 
probably 3% of the world's population in terms of economics, because we probably have jobs, we probably have cars, we probably have savings accounts. In addition to that, we have income property. So we might be in the richest 2% of the world. In my worldview, my gifts and my skills are only important to the extent that they help other people. The fact that you and I and our listeners and our viewers have greater wealth, that doesn't mean we're better people. It means we have more responsibility. But we're responsible for what we have. A couple of thousand years ago, if there was a watchman and the watchman saw the invaders coming and didn't call out, it was on the watchman's head. If the watchman called out and said alert and the people didn't come, death was on the people's head. Well, we, whether we ask for it or not, we're leaders. We're people of impact. Whether we want to be a leader or not, whether we aspire to be a person of impact or not, we're in that position. 90 years from now, I'm going to be gone. You're going to be drooling in your shoe. Your season doesn't last forever. But while we're here, we're the adult in charge. We're among the adults in charge. So we have a responsibility. That doesn't mean that we've got to give all our money to every poor person we see. It doesn't mean that we've got to help every little lady across the street that she wants to go or not. It means that we, for me, it means I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. Earlier this morning, somebody pulled my chain and I didn't respond with as much grace and as compassion as I would like. But what I try to do is treat people the way I would like to be treated, recognizing that their foibles, their flaws are different than mine. And I used to be even younger and even dumber than I am now. Actually, I can't say younger, can I? Well, anyway, <laughs> I think we have a responsibility to do the best that we can. Because people are watching this, they, we may not be much, but we are visible. So let's do the best that we can what we've got. And the bride of my youth makes quilts for people that she will never speak, never see. Sometimes she spends 20 hours, sometimes she spends 100 hours. And half the people who get her quilts, she's never talked to them. She's never seen them. God bless her. She's an introvert. That's her way of showing love. I'm grateful that that's not the way I'm wired. But she's gonna leave a legacy. And I've helped people become wealthy and I try to encourage people to use their impact for a long-term beneficial good. In my particular metropolitan area, I think there's 100,000 people live in better housing because my clients bought the apartment buildings and cleaned them up and painted them up, fixed them up. So indirectly, I've helped 100,000 people, most of whom I'll never see. But that's part of how I'm living out that covenant. That's interesting that you talk about like the, the tenants of your clients. If we, does that really come down to, man, we're doing, we're striving to do business with good people who are going to have an impact, a positive impact on their clients who in this case are, are their tenants or they're going to treat their, you know, say service workers well, their, their, employees, things like that. I mean, I'm just thinking about how can we, what can we think about as far as our, our legacy goes and what are some examples as, you know, as real estate investors, especially that what, you know, impacts our legacy, what can we uh, strive to be better about? One of my favorite clients has a model that when you leave his place of business, you see old signs says, do the right thing plus one more. When I met this guy, he was past a decamillionaire. In his world, he doesn't think he's a person of impact until he becomes a centimillionaire. I think a decamillionaire is pretty impactful. 
But this, the slogan that he puts in the head of the people who are on his team is do the right thing plus one more. He is a tough negotiator. He's fair. In effect, he says, if you do business with me, you can count on me. In effect, he knows and people do business with him. If they do business with him, he's going to buy at a price that almost anybody else would buy, but they can count on him. And when he leases things, they know that he's going to get the highest rents out there, but it's going to be taken care of. So he is, he creates premium value. He, he is the most methodical person I know. I've dialed a thousand owners in San Diego County in the last six months, but this guy is the best operator that I know. He's not the richest, but he's the best operator that I know because he studies lots of things in granular detail. He tries to get his turnover reduced better than it was last year, better than it was the year before, better than the public companies in our area. And he incentivizes his team. He cuts them some slack, but they are performance-based. But the central idea that he plants in their head is do the right thing plus one more. And that's one way to do it. I'm a simpler guy than that. Try to treat people the way you want to be treated. That's easy for me to understand. It's hard for me to live out. But that's so simple that even I can understand it. That doesn't mean that you give your car to the first homeless guy that you see. It doesn't mean you hand your wallet to the first homeless gal that you encounter. It it can be a variety of things, socks and a snack bar to a homeless guy. That might be good enough for some people. Um, There's a variety of ways, but how would you want to be treated? And some people will forgive rent. Some people will cut them some slack. I think you're going to figure out what your standards are, and then can you live up to your standards? The hard part for me is not figuring out what the right thing to do is. The hard thing to do is what I intend to do. Interesting. I, okay, so I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you bring this up because you you've mentioned in 90 years I'll be drilling. I think 90 years I probably don't have 90 years left as much as I'd like to. I'm I'm 31. Most men don't make it to 121 years old, so. Yeah, but you're exceptional. Your mom was special. Weren't you listening? Didn't she tell you you were special? <laughs> oh, she does. Absolutely. But, you know, not quite that special. None of my family members have made it that long. But, you know, I, I think about, you know, how many, I guess at what age do people start thinking about this? And then what age, like, should we start thinking about this? I mean, should, the answer is probably always, but do people all typically start thinking about this, like, too late in life? Yeah, when I when I started writing my book, I just had kind of a vague idea about legacy. And in the process of writing the book, I read several different writers. One of them was Annie Dillard. And I read an Annie Dillard book last night, and she told the story of the six-year-old girl whose face caught on fire in the flames. So that little girl, real little girl, is going to be thinking about legacy for the rest of her life. Book written more than 20 years old, so lady might be... 30 or 40 by now. But for a lot of us, it's in the range of middle age when, it, when oh, we're going to die sometime becomes real. When, you know, I'm, I'm now the oldest cousin. I didn't start out the oldest cousin. I got indirect, involuntarily promoted to the <laughs> oldest because the oldest cousin died. And so now it's me. 
And I'm actually the oldest and second oldest and third oldest because the one ahead of me and the one behind me gone. So I've now got three spots. We all know that our bodies are not going to last forever. It's a question of what we're going to do about it. And a couple of years ago, I was minding my own business. I was on a, I was doing a triathlon. I am the slowest triathlete that you know. And that's okay with me. I had gotten out of the swim. I'd done okay. I was on the bike and I was thinking, boy, this is going to be kind of a punk triathlon. Got kind of a bum start. And then the next thing I know, I look up and there was this beautiful woman, less than half the age of my wife, beautiful green eyes, and she's holding my head. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you are so good looking. You are kissably close. You are not my wife. Who are you? I can see the clouds behind her. And I'm thinking, this is a really weird triathlon. <laughs> well, the short story was, I kind of woke up again. She said, you'll, you'll be okay, I'm a nurse. And what's that could do with anything? Why are you so close? And then I woke up when the balloons surrounded me. And I woke up again when they put me on the ambulance. But I can't quite figure that out. And I woke up again when I saw the ceiling tiles going by. I ended up spending two nights, two days and a night in the hospital. I'd fallen off the bike for no good reason. And there was a poem, a verse that I remembered. Teach me to number our days, O Lord, that we may show you a heart of wisdom. Psalm 95, 12. So it became very tangible to me when I fell off a perfectly good bike. Some people don't wake up. Some people wake up paralyzed. My cousin, who's the DMT, said triathlete, the, the most dangerous, the most common injury is people fall off the bike, not people nearly drown, not people fall on the run. But I was one of the bike guys. And I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and there was somebody who came close to dying there, but that didn't strike me. That wasn't my time. But at some point, we figure out, I'm not going to live forever. What do I want my life to amount to? One of the wisest guys that I knew, I said, Skip, you're amazing. You're not that much smarter than me. Why, how, what you say? How do you do it? Why do you know what to engage in? And he said the William Carey quote. Was he that, that evangelist who went to India all those many years ago? Yeah, the William Carey quote. I don't. Fear failure. I fear succeeding at things that don't matter. Well, I don't want to be famous for organizing confetti. I would like to have my life amount to something. When I'm gone, I would like to have an influence of what people say, what they do, and what they think. Selling used apartment buildings, that's kind of dull. Used apartment buildings are kind of dull. But the people involved, that's worthwhile. I can paint used apartment buildings, I can buy used apartment buildings, I can put new windows on them, and per se, that's kind of dull. Changing the way people think, what they say, what they do, that's legacy, that's impact. And some people never get it. They asked Rockefeller just before he died, how much do you need? And he said, just a little bit more. Shallow life. How much do you leave? He left it all. Mother Teresa didn't own 10 things. She had a big impact. So if you're paying attention, you ask the right questions. If you're not, you think the one who dies the most toys wins, not necessarily. Wow. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Terry, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Okay. Sure. Right. Number one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, you took away my best answer and you took away my second best answer. It was education and education. I'll skip those two. I did that on purpose. Yeah. So um, one of my clients talked me into investing with her 
in a deeply discounted apartment building in a tertiary market. And it turned out to be a wonderful investment because we bought it so cheap. And part of my education, I have learned that your craft and mine is a people business first, a financing business second, and a property business third. Well, fortunately, I invested with the right people. That's a hint for people who are wondering whether or not they should deal with Taylor. And I invested with great financing, and that was a good thing. And oh, by the way, we bought property, and it was pretty good property. But the other two were the key thing. We we had courage when most people had fear, and we took prudent risks when lots of people were afraid. Interesting. Wow. We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? In the Great Recession, we held five years worth of cash. Ah, so, so can you it, expand on that a little bit and explain your reasoning? So so we could have bought apartments in our, or we could have bought condos and houses in an area at half price. We didn't do that. We had pillows stacked full of $100 bills because we were afraid. We had five years of cash and we didn't buy anything when it was on sale for half the price. And this didn't last for 60 days. This didn't last for a year. This was a couple of years. We sat with five years of cash. It was really liquid. At the end of five years, it was worth what it was worth plus one and a half percent more. <laughs> if we had bought the 14th worst investment, we would have doubled our money. So cash was a terrible investment. Wow. I think that's important, especially for folks who find themselves in that fear situation. Keep in mind those lessons of the past when people have been afraid like that. Usually that's a sign that maybe you're missing out on some important opportunities. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? So I think it's prudent risk taking. There's, so I still sell apartment building, still invest in apartment building. There's some people, when I mention an opportunity for them, in effect, they say, you know what, I don't know that it's perfect. I'm not going to go forward unless I know that it's perfect. But what I didn't say is, let's get married to this investment. I said, let's go on a coffee date with this investment. And with a coffee date, you're there for a short period of time. It's low commitment. And if it looks worthwhile, you pursue it another half step. And if it doesn't, you gracefully say, thanks. Yeah, bye. Never see you again. But with the coffee date, you just need to know, is it worth pursuing to the next step? At the next step, maybe you go out for breakfast. Maybe you go out for lunch. Maybe you go out for dinner. If it's a bust, you're gone. If it's okay, maybe go further. But prudent risk-taking. I see a lot of folks who don't want to do anything unless they're sure that it's perfect. And guess what? That's a huge risk. That's a guaranteed way to failure. One of John Wooden, the legendary basketball coach, one of his mentors was a basketball coach that said the most successful teams make the most mistakes. And Wooden thought about it and he figured out the guys who are doing things, some of them are not going to work. Some of what you try doesn't work. Learning to ride a bicycle is a learning by doing activity. Leading is a learning by doing activity. Investing is a learning by doing activity. Surgery is a learning by doing, I guess the point is you got to try it, understand it. And you want to learn where it doesn't cost you much. And when you realize it's a bad deal, get out. 
but you've got to get into the game if you're going to win. Sitting in the stands, you don't win. The team wins, you don't win. You don't get the blazer. You don't get the ring. Maybe you get bragging rights, but you're not on the field. So prudent risk-taking, I think, is the best lesson that I've learned. Nice, nice. Well, Terry, thank you for joining us today and teaching us about building a legacy. If folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, if they want to get a copy of the book, where can they find you? So Amazon has got the book, and Jeff Bezos would really like you to buy it through Amazon. Like I say, he gets three or four times as much money as I do. I have a website. It's San Diego Apartment Broker. I have a blog and not as many people know me as No Taylor, but several people seem to think the blog is worthwhile. So if you look up Building Legacy Wealth, you might find the blog, find the book, um, or San Diego Apartment.com. And my phone number is 619-889-1031. Be blessed, be a blessing. Thank you. Wow, that was great. Thanks for that, Terry. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.